The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are on Rotten Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2009's Watchmen, directed by Zack Snyder, starring Malin Ackerman, Billy Crudup, Matthew Good, Carla Gugino, Jackie Earl Haley, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and Patrick Wilson. Watchmen is a 2000 2009 American superhero film. This movie currently holds a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? In a gritty and alternate 1985, the glory days of costume vigilantes have been brought to a close by a government crackdown. But after one of the mass veterans is brutally murdered, an investigation into the killer is initiated. The reunited heroes set out to prevent their own destruction, but doing so, discover a deeper, far more diabolic plot. Okay, Watchmen, tonight's movie was sponsored by Rebecca. Rebecca writes in and says, Hey guys, longtime listener and fellow New Jerseyan here. I finally decided to throw some money at you in the hopes that I could subject you to some obscure piece of cinematic bile for my amusement, but realized shortly thereafter that I couldn't really think of something horrible enough for you to watch. I wanted to pick something that would threaten to tear the mighty fabric that holds Yes That Bad World Headquarters together, and in doing so, create a catastrophe the likes of which the universe had never seen. I thought about it for some time, and just when I'd given up, I listened to the Deja Vu episode and was reminded of my own tempestuous past with Zack Snyder's I don't hate Snyder, and I actually enjoyed Sucker Punch. I thought Watchmen was such a meh movie from such stellar source material that it was inexcusable. The opening credit sequence had me pumped up for a fantastic film, and then I just died a little bit on the inside. P.S. This is how I see the three of you in my head. Joel, you look like 21st President of the United States Chester Allen Arthur. Kevin, you strongly resemble a Keebler elf, and Martin is an enormous emperor penguin that likes to wear army fatigue. How accurate is this? That is dead on. Ten trillion percent accurate. Yeah, I'd say that's that's very close. Yeah, because you're an emperor penguin. <laughs> the Keebler elf. Yeah, you're you're an elf. Oh. You don't make cookies. You have elfin wide characteristics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Watchmen. What is your history with this? This movie was a game changer for how I view movies in the movie theater. I was up for five million days straight, and this movie opening night, I decide to go to with no sleep. I didn't need. I just finished reading the source material. Would you say that you couldn't eat and you couldn't sleep? I couldn't dream, you couldn't yeah. dream about it? Yeah, yeah. I was like Stan. And <laughs> I went into this movie theater, sat down. It was, it was a nightmare. It was a, it was a literal nightmare for me. Do I like the movie this time around? Uh, let's find out. Kevin? Yeah, this is a game changer for me too. I mean, I, <laughs> just like Martin, read the source material right before going to see this in the theater. And that was, that turned out to be a really big mistake. Blunder. Just, just to make it clear, we've all read the source material. I don't know, right Multiple multiple times. Multiple, multiple yeah. times, like right when it first came out. So like we reread the source material immediately before walking into the theater. I like, I was like, <laughs> you had it like, with you. I, yeah, I, I had it with me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's done. I threw it in the trash and walked in. <laughs> um, I was unimpressed the first time around, but well, this is this is the first time I'll see it since I saw it in the theater. So a little bit of time has passed. Maybe that'll influence my opinion of it. Joel, we saw it together. You and a couple other guys came down to Baltimore where I was living at the time. This was a big deal, right? When this came out. It really was. This was an event movie. You guys came all the way down, made like a three and a half hour journey to me so that we could all see this movie together. The group of guys that were all friends
friends together. We waited in line out in the hallway at the movie theater for four or five hours, I think. <laughs> yeah, left the trip. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nightmare, man. Standing in the hallway at the movie theater. That was terrible. But yeah, I mean, this is a movie everyone was looking forward to. Everyone. Everyone I knew was looking forward to this movie. And I'm not sure anyone was completely satisfied. I remember we were very angry and cranky when we got out. Yeah, but were you usually angry and cranky the whole time you guys would come down to see me? Yeah, okay, all right. You guys, that's that's true. You guys act like grumpy old men all day long. <laughs> we were grumpier old men that night. Oh, all right. Okay, well, as for me, my history is very similar to you guys, but I saw this twice opening weekend. I had the ill fate to see this twice. Again, another game changer for me. So I saw it once with two guys that Marn and I are friends with up here. One guy, a diehard comic book fan. And I saw it at midnight, midnight screening. And I, I think it was an IMAX. I'm not really sure. And then the very next day, drove 17 hours to go down to Baltimore. <laughs> and then I saw it again. I wasn't happy the first time I saw it. And I was less happy the second time I saw it the very next day. So yeah. Yeah, total, total game changer for me. I guess we'll talk about that later when we get to the end of this, like how it changed my life. Okay, uh, let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one and we'll see how you thought they did. Okay, first up, Malin Ackerman, Silver Spectre 2. Silver Spectre 2. Silk Spectre 2. I thought that she was pretty good. I liked, uh, I also thought that she was very, 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 very attractive. Very? Uh, she was pretty attractive. I, see, like, she doesn't, she doesn't, like, really live up to my expectations of what the Silk Spectre 2 is in my head. But, okay. you know, as, as far as her acting is concerned in this movie, I think it's on par with the rest of the, the, the actors. Yeah, I don't like her. Me neither. I, I don't, never seen a performance by this woman that I thought was good. And I thought, I didn't think she, she brought anything to this role. And, yeah, I agree. She got top billing, right? Because she's, she really is kind of the main character here. Like, she's the connection between the, the main players. And I think it was a big letdown to have her give this kind of wooden performance. Yeah, I mean, she, her her performance, I thought, was subpar. Yeah, I agree. I hated her when I saw it back in 2009. I was more lenient this time around, because I knew what I was going to expect. But, yeah, still, she doesn't hold her own up against these other people. They're acting circles around her, quite frankly. Next up, Billy Crudup, Dr. Manhattan. You know, when I saw this back Back in the day, his kind of breathy delivery bothered me at the time. I'm okay with it now. Kind of like it because he's it works. He's supposed to be this detached guy who doesn't care about what's going on. Yeah, I, I love this guy. I like him in almost everything I've ever seen him in. Even Big Fish? I liked him in Big Fish. But what about real Big Fish? <laughs> <laughs> you know that band, right? <laughs> I mean, of course. It, that, that's, that's how I live my life. That's why we sold out, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we sold out to the radio company. <laughs> To make a lot of money. Everything's gonna be alright. <laughs> I'm Martin Billy Crudup. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Man, what a night. Just like Joel, I hated the first time around as far as like his delivery. In in my head, Dr. Manhattan's voice is like echoey and like booming. Yeah, a lot of the problems that I had with this movie all stem from the fact that I read the book right before seeing the movie. Right. So I had all these preconceived notions in my head. And if you've ever read the graphic novel, the way that they write Dr. Manhattan's speech balloons. They're all blue and they're different. Blue. No, there's no other speech balloon in the comic that is colored except for Dr. Manhattan. So it, 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 it looks like it's ethereal 
guttural and like echoing yeah. and like it's like a normal speech balloon but it has this border around this blue stroke border around it which makes it looks like he's talking like really loud and clear like if he was on the other side of the room and he said a word it would be like echoing in your head and loud and clear right plus his character is godlike so you just assume that that's how he's speaking this time around though I had the ex- this, almost the exact same experience as Joel I, 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 I like it I like the way that he sounds soft and like just he just doesn't care he's yeah this guy's good he's a good actor yeah absolutely quite frankly alright next up Matthew Good Ozymandias what'd you think um yeah, I, I liked Ozzy Ozzy he was good yeah, big fan yeah I don't know who this guy is I've never seen him in anything before that or I recognize since, right? him from I'm trying to figure I've heard out. his name before but I can't think of any other movies that I've seen him in you know what's bizarre he goes in and out of having an accent in this movie and it's really odd like when he's in his lair down in uh, Antarctica in, in Karnak he has like an accent and then he doesn't when he's in his headquarters in Manhattan perfect storm syndrome I don't know what's happening <laughs> yeah yeah he was attacked by Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> perfect storm syndrome <laughs> he had piss dyed hair yeah he did they were peeing all over his hair right, he was in the lookout really that's a good movie but I don't remember him in there he's just a forgettable guy and then we come to find that he's like <laughs> the main guy match point oh I saw match point too. okay next up you know Martin this is the triumphant return of Zack Snyder yes that bad in his last movie we went toe to toe with this next actress Carla Gugino she was also in one of our very first movies the unborn this is Silk Spectre the original one, one. Yeah. who was she in the unborn she was the mom crazy mom that's that's just her role is crazy mom I believe so because she played a crazy mom in this one as well she played like an, an, an alcoholic you know living in the past mother how did she do terrible she was horrendous awful really bad I thought she was the worst part of this movie when I saw this movie back in 2009 again I'm more lenient but the old man makeup they have on her it's pretty bad her line delivery is really terrible but then again I was talking to you about this Kevin I don't know if this is really her fault or, or this is just a problem indicative with this movie as a whole where the lines that they're saying in this movie are taken straight from the book and some of the things they say they work when you read them in your head but when you say them out loud they just sound silly yeah, her specifically like most of her lines were supposed to have some kind of emotional payoff to yeah, it yeah like these deep meanings to them and all this stuff and it, it didn't work at all I like her in most things and what I've seen her before so I I think she was handcuffed by the material more than anything but you know I also say that this movie in a lot of ways it tried to be very serious yeah whereas her performance was a little bit cartoonish mm-hmm. and it, it felt out of place because of that okay next up Jackie Earl Haley this guy's the best Rorschach this guy was the best in this movie for me yeah absolutely I'm going to um respectfully disagree no I'm not going to disagree his uh respectfully his... agree I'm going to disrespectfully agree with <laughs> you. screw you he's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah I Especially his last his last line in this movie. Oh, yeah. Power. This guy's an actor. He's legit. If you want to see a great Jackie Earl Haley movie, go see Little Children. His co-star, Patrick Wilson's in this movie as well. Okay, next up, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the comedian. I like this guy. I want to see him in more movies. It seems to me that he only ever shows up in, like, crappy horror movies or something. Yeah. I think he's great. I love the, his portrayal of the comedian. It was spot on. The comedian that I had in my head and the one that they portrayed in this movie was identical. Okay, and finally, Patrick... Patrick Wilson, Night Owl 2. I thought this guy did a good job. He's a good actor, this guy. I like this guy a lot. Yeah. Very likable. He played Night Owl correctly to the T. This is how I picture Night Owl acting like an infant. Weak, 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 giant baby man. He's got, he's got a Gerber baby face. Hate it. Okay, so an extremely misogynistic <laughs> overview of the cast and crew of Watchmen. <laughs> so so we, we, we hated every woman. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, every, every man. <laughs> 
Let's get into the brief history of Watchmen. The movie rights to the Alan Moore graphic novels Watchmen and V for Vendetta were acquired together in the late 1980s. Moore was asked to write a script but declined. The studio then had Sam Hamm write a script. Terry Gilliam considered directing this film as early as 1989, but after several rewrites assisted by Charles McEwen, decided the material unfilmable except as a five-hour miniseries at the cost of a million dollars per page, with CGI not in use yet. Michael Bay was considered as director in 2003. In 2004, the rights had been sold to Paramount, where Paul Greengrass planned a loose adaptation set in present day. Warner Brothers soon reacquired the rights for Darren Aronofsky, who also wanted a present day setting, replacing Vietnam with Iraq and terrorism. Uncomfortable with that, Warner hired Zack Snyder of 300 fame. Casting rumors over the years included Sigourney Weaver as Sally Jupiter, John Hurt, Robin Williams, Doug Hitchison, Daniel Craig, Simon Pegg, Glenn Hansard as Rorschach. Glenn Hansard of like... (laughs) Once swell season? I'm sorry, dude, but the Robin Williams as as Rorschach is crazier. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dolph Lundgren as Dr. Manhattan, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, Ron Perlman, Thomas Jane as the comedian, Richard Gere, Kevin Costner, John Cusack, Joaquin Phoenix as Night Owl. <laughs> Nathan John Cusack, can you imagine? <laughs> oh man. Nathan Fillion as either the comedian or night owl, Jamie Lee Curtis, Hillary Swank, Jessica Beal, Hillary Duff, and Silk Spectre. <laughs> what Hillary are they Duff? doing? <laughs> Oh, Tom Cruise or Jude Law as Ozymandias. In the finished film, Jackie Earl Haley is the only one of the seven primary cast members who was even in the film industry when the movie was first tempted. The first official image from director Zack Snyder, a test shot of Rorschach holding the comedian's button, was actually hidden in a trailer for Snyder's previous film, 300. I remember this. It features that film's associate producer, Wesley Collier, wearing a makeshift mask in front of a composite New York backdrop and was created as an experiment by Snyder to establish the mood and look of his proposed Watchmen project. Snyder's wife, Deborah Snyder, bet him $100 that no one would discover it while he was convinced that someone would find it almost immediately. He won. Zack Snyder based his storyboards for the film. Big for Zack. Yeah, Zack Snyder based his storyboards on the film on panels of the actual graphic novel. He has stated that in order to be true to the source when adapting a graphic novel to the screen, the original vision art should be respected as much much as the written portion. Snyder personally asked Dave Gibbons, the novel's artist, to design the first teaser film poster. Gibbons enthusiastically agreed and designed the poster to have subtle visual clues, including the film's plot. When casting the film, each actor was presented with a script and a copy of the book. They were allowed to carry the latter on set and rewrite dialogue to better match that of the source material. Dozens of scenes reenact panels from the novel. A good example is Rorschach squatting on the windowsill about to enter the convenience apartment near the start of the film. Author Alan Moore preemptively disowns all filmed adaptations of his work. Remember the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh yeah. Uh, when asked in an interview with ReelsChannel.com about original Watchmen writer Alan Moore's dismissal of the movie, Zack Snyder was quoted as saying, Worst case scenario, Alan puts the movie on his DVD player on a cold Sunday in London and watches it and says, yeah, that doesn't suck too bad. When this was brought up to Moore himself in a later interview in the British Tripwire comics fanzine, the writer commented, <laughs> That's the worst case scenario? <laughs> I think he underestimated what the worst case scenario would be. That's never going to happen in my DVD player in London. Moore very famously lives in Northampton. I'm never going to watch this <laughs> thing thing. 
<laughs> Still, Snyder has said that his ultimate hope is that someday Moore will actually see the film and feel it to be a decent representation of the original graphic novel. First trailer for the film, which premiered with The Dark Knight, sparked so much interest that it sent the graphic novel back onto the bestseller list. Barnes & Noble bookstores reported selling out of the graphic novel nationwide. Uh, yeah, so there's a director's cut of the movie and an ultimate cut of the movie, Kevin. Can you believe it? I, which one did we watch? We watched the nothing cut. <laughs> The bum no, I, cut. I, we watched everything was cut. Yeah. The I'm, All right. Well, the ultimate cut. In November 2009, a four-disc set was released as the ultimate cut. This version features the director's cut of the film re-edited to contain Tales of the Black Freighter, which is a cartoon, into the story as it is featured in the graphic novel, bringing the runtime of the film to 215 minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is a three-and-a-half-hour long movie. The set also included two additional hours of bonus features, including including Under the Hood and the Complete Motion Comic, originally released in the DVD set. This movie had a budget of $130 million. How much did it make worldwide? $170 million. I'll say $200. Martin wins $185 million. Not the blockbuster they were hoping, I guess. It wasn't a blockbuster night. Watchmen! So this movie starts off with an actual scene. Sorry, Kevin. (laughs) No no more text and narration on black screens. We get this old man sitting around in a bathrobe, making tea, watching the news. Boring. <laughs> I can hear you saying. But then you saw. But then you saw that he was watching the McLaughlin Group, and you were extremely interested. You're like, wow, some real reporting for once. I remember when I saw this in the theaters and saw that the first time. I was like, the McLaughlin Group. I, that's so crazy. That, that, that's the exact same thing I did. I'm sitting in the theaters, and I was like, is that is that John McLaughlin? <laughs> <laughs> and and I hear him in the background. It's like wrong again. I'm like, I wish they said wrong again, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this old man is making his tea, and then a burglar bursts into his apartment, raises some hell. They get into a fist fight. What did you think of this fist fight? It was pretty good. I mean, this is right off the break. I mean, if you didn't know it was Zack Snyder before you walked in, you knew it was him right now, yeah, right? Yeah, telltale signs all over the place. Time's just being, t- time warped all around us. Yeah, they're doing the time warp. It's speeding up, it's slowing down, um, but it looked so good. It looked really good. It looked awesome. One of the confusing things about this movie, I think would confuse people that never read this book is the question of whether or not these people have superpowers. Like, they sold this movie as a superhero movie. Technically, it's not. They're not really superheroes. They're just normal people wearing costumes. But in this fight scene, like, they're picking each other up and tossing each other across the room, punching through walls and stuff. It's kind of confusing, right? Doesn't it muddle the waters a bit whether or not it they're does. powerful? I mean, a normal human being wouldn't be able to lift up a 225-pound man with ease over his head like he's just doing, like, a real easy clean jerk and toss him 40 feet through a marble countertop. If you have any interest in watching this movie at all, I highly recommend that you either watch it first and not listen to this right away because it's better going into it blind or you can take Martin's advice and just read the graphic novel and never watch this movie. Yeah, you'll that's, that's doing, viable as well. You'll be doing everyone a favor, yeah, including for sure. yourself. That's a great question because the way this is filmed, if I didn't know anything about the source material, I would assume that they have superpowers. So these two guys are battling it out and the, the, the burglar's picking up this guy who we, we learn later 
murders the comedian. He's picking him up. And the comedian's a big guy. He's huge. And this burglar who is kind of on the small side, right? I mean, he's a slender person. You can see that as he's running around. Thin man. He he picks up the comedian and, and just tosses him like a ragdoll. I mean, it, it looks like he has superpowers. And if he doesn't, then it really brings up the question of whether that the choices they made in the direction here were the right ones to make. Because I think that this could have been shot a bit more realistically and been effective without bringing up these questions of, does this person have superpowers or not? Listen, if they filmed it the way Christopher Nolan films the Batman series, I would have been very, very happy. Because nothing, I mean, obviously in the Batman movies, crazy stuff is going on, but it doesn't, physics isn't like bent and warped and he's not using the Unreal Engine. There you go. Parts of this scene looked more like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers than they did the Dark Knight. Right. Wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of fast fighting going on, like with the speeding up and extreme close-ups of people getting punched in the face. That happens a bunch of times in this movie. It's really interesting to think, like, here we are again. I mean, we we saw Sucker Punch last year. Compared to this, I mean, this is a way better movie than Sucker Punch. This movie is way more restrained than Sucker Punch is. And we were talking, me and Kevin were talking about this earlier today. It's like, there's so much potential with this guy. I think that this guy could be one of the greats, one of the great directors. Like, he has a vision, he's talented, but he needs somebody to rein him in. He doesn't know when to pull the punches. He doesn't know, he doesn't have that nuanced decision making of Darren Aronofsky or any of the other directors that, that I really respect. But he is extremely talented. Yeah, every, every, way talented Every guy. movie I see him like this looks gorgeous. The way the, the scenes are set up and the way the, the story progresses, I'm like, this is very clear. This looks beautiful. This is a, a laid out amazingly. But the, his decisions with how he chooses to show, especially fight scenes, but show a lot of like the nuanced parts of like how a character behaves around another character, really odd, strange, and it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this guy has a lot of promise, but I think it's just that he hasn't really paid off officially, at least for me, not yet. 300, I know a lot of people love that movie. I didn't really care for it all that much. But for instance, when I saw the the first preview for the new Superman, yeah. as soon as I saw his name appear, I was like, ooh. Uh-oh. Warning yeah. sign? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, but but Chris Chris Nolan's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's, he's, yeah, he's, I mean, he's gonna rock him back and forth. That's the hope, right? Like that he imparts some wisdom on him, that he reigns him in a little bit, and he learns well, how to make a really, really good movie from this experience. That's that's what I got from that trailer where it says like, per, you know, directed by Zack Snyder, you know, and I forget what it is they said. <laughs> Christopher Nolan is going to be doing, I guess, like leashing Zack Snyder, <laughs> pull him back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that he's like, no, Zack, that's crazy. Don't do that. That's stupid. This would be the part during our upcoming Superman Man of Steel review where we each give it a one out of five. I would cut in. <laughs> you guys would be like, oh, he's going to be a visionary. <laughs> no one's going to help him out. <laughs> I think that at the end of the day, if either of us were film directors, there'd be a much higher probability of us being over-the-top jokers like Zack Snyder than level-headed Chris Nolans. Like, we would be tossing all this insane Dragon Ball Z garbage in our movies all day long. I would need to. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night (laughs) if I didn't do that. So, yes, that's why I have a lot of empathy for this guy. (laughs) He's like me. You identify with him. Yeah, he's like me if I was a director. He has these fancy toys. He wants to play with them. All right, so after this, the, the crook throws the old man out the window. He hits the ground and explodes in a 10 trillion megaton burst. Yeah, the whole city of New York is leveled (laughs) by the force of him hitting the sidewalk. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then it cuts to what I'm going to go out on a limb and say is probably the best opening credits of any movie ever, or at least within the last 10 years. Cosigned. I'd have to think long and hard about that. Because I am of two minds when it comes to fancy opening credits of movies. On one, one hand, I'm like, oh, that's really cool and artistic and fun. Like something like the opening credits of um, Cast Me If You Can or uh, uh, Lord of War had a really fun one. You know, these kind of movies that have really fun opening credits. But then on the other hand, I'm like, all right, let's get on with it. Let's start, let's start the movie. This isn't adding anything. This is important. The stuff that's in this opening credit yeah. sequence. It sets up the history of the world that we're about to go in in this two minute, three minute long opening credit sequence. 14 minute, I think it was. Yeah, 77 minute long opening credit sequence. It was great. The music choice was great. For the one and only time the this one movie we can say, the music, the music was, was perfect for this. It was Bob Dylan. Yeah, it was one of the 50 times Bob Dylan is used in this movie, but it was used correctly. The way that they, that they showed different scenes of Americana interposed with these characters setting up this alternate universe. It was, I'll, I'll say it, it was masterful. A- absolutely. I remember being blown away when I saw this in the theater. And when I saw it the second time, this is the only thing I was looking forward to seeing again was mm-hmm. this opening credits. This yeah. this is the best part of the movie. Without a doubt. Yeah. I remember I said that back in 2009. I'm like, the opening credits are better than the rest of the movie. It is the best part of the movie. It's, it's still, what it's other still movie rings, can you say that? None. I, it's you still, peak in the credits. It's, it still rings true for me. I If, if I walked out of the movie theater after seeing this, movie's a five out of five. Yeah, the opening credit sequence are different shots of American history, but we're seeing that they're slightly different than what actually happened because this is an alternate world. Like Nixon is being elected to three terms and all sorts of things are going on. And it's all done in this super Zack Snyder slow-mo. Yeah, weird. Very artistic. He's never gone this slow before ever in any movie, right? No, (laughs) No, it was killing him too. He almost died (laughs) when he was filming this scene. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and what I remember very distinctly, I don't know if you remember this, Kevin, but when we saw it together in the theater, clearly the people who were in the theater had all read the book. Oh, like, yeah. Every guy in that theater had read the book, <laughs> Absolutely. right? So it was us, it was a bunch of dudes, and your fiancé at the time, or not even fiancé no, at the time. girlfriend at Just the your time. girlfriend, your would-be fiancé. So we were in the theater, and there's a scene where young Rorschach is there, and this guy is done having sex with his mom in the opening credits, and like pats young Rorschach's <laughs> head... <laughs> Every guy in that theater burst into explosive laughter. Do you remember this? And, And then your girlfriend was like, what's so funny? I don't get it. What's so funny? There was a lot of explaining during yeah, that movie. It, it doesn't. It doesn't show. It doesn't even insinuate that that's what's going on in that scene. But everybody knows that has read the graphic novel. Yeah, what's going on? Is a prostitute. Yeah, I, I laughed. I remember laughing at that. That was hilarious. <laughs> he, the, the guy ruffles his hair. Yeah, like, it's like, like it's like later sport. Good job, kid. See you later, kiddo. <laughs> I'll say this though: that opening sequence is great for all of us that know yes. the graphic novel. Yeah, but for someone who's just going in and seeing this movie cold for the first time. Not knowing any of this backstory, there's so much going on in this opening sequence. I don't know that you could take it all in, and un- and you definitely couldn't understand what's going on. No, right? no. So that's a problem with it, though. See, Zach- it doesn't stand alone unless you're rewatching the movie or you have prior knowledge going in. See, Zack Snyder thought that he was directing an equivalent to a guy's version of Twilight, where everybody had read the source material and he could just go and do whatever he want- wanted and kept as strict to the source material a- a- as he could. And the stuff that he couldn't include because of the time of the movie, everybody would just assume and know because they've read it. Well, that's one of the problems with this movie, right? This movie bites off way more than it can handle. Joel, me and you had a conversation about making The Watchmen a movie before it was even announced. And yeah, it we, should we be were a miniseries. It, right, we were saying that it just couldn't be done as one movie or even as a, as three movies separately. It needs to be like, like you said, it needs to be a miniseries on like HBO. Or yeah, I remember when we, when 
you and I first met back in like 2004 at our college library, they had Watchmen and it just like got passed around. Like we all read it. Yeah. There were like a bunch of people, we all read it and it was, it was a good time. It was, it was, it was a great time. Everybody got yeah, we were, And we were like, hey, this needs to be a miniseries on HBO. That'd be right. amazing. You flesh everything out. Well, that's how the book is structured. Like every, oh, absolutely, every yeah. issue of the book is dedicated to one of the characters and we get to really flesh it out. And he tried to replicate that in this movie. Whether or not that's a success, I don't know. You don't make 185 million doing that though. You see, like they spent 130 million though. That's not even half of what they spent that they're really getting as a profit. Like that's a failure, I think, as far as Hollywood is concerned. Yeah, isn't it? I think so. Well, I mean, it was enough for them to green light sucker punch. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank God they did that. <laughs> uh oh, Martin, your pants are ringing. <laughs> oh wait, who is it? Hello? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I gotta go. That's my mom. She needs help at home fixing dinner. Yeah, yeah. Go shampoo your cat. <laughs> I got to go wash my hair and I have a headache. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, Martin isn't even supposed to be here right now, quite frankly. Yeah. I'm, We're uh, lucky to have him He's under all. house arrest. He wasn't yeah. supposed to leave. Yeah. Judge him. So we only got a taste of Martin. It's a little taste dribbling down my chin. <laughs> That's just to whet your appetite, so. Joel, you got some Martin on your chin. <laughs> it's not the first time. Later, guys. Martin will return in episode 97 <laughs> of Yeah, It's That Bad. No, seriously, Martin's got to go, so bye-bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. So unprofessional of him to leave in the middle yeah, of a really review. Rude. You know, a real classless move <laughs> 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 No, seriously, bye. <laughs> no, seriously, bye. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Let me consult my notes. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, talk about that. Talk about that. This was the most difficult movie we've watched to take notes of. Yeah? Even worse than Bounty Hunter? Yeah, because there's just so much material here. It's so dense. It is. And there also isn't a lot of those, oh, this, this is stupid. I better remember this so I can talk about this. No, like, there's almost none of that. Th there's absolutely none of that. Now, that doesn't mean it's a, a good movie, really, but it just, there was none of those glaring, stupid yeah, mistakes. This is a competently made movie. Yep. People who knew what they were doing. Yep. For the most part, acted very well. Yeah. Shot very well. This movie is beautiful. really beautiful. Beautiful. It's a great looking movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like a dense story. And the core plot is really good. And it's also not the first time I'm go I've gone through this plot, right? Like, I know these points, these yes. plot points by heart. Exactly. I've read the thing so many times. I've seen this movie before. Like, it wasn't, I didn't have to write down the plot points to make sure I kept track of where we are. We could jump around all over the place and I, I wouldn't be lost. Sure. Like crisscross. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. This is more like a technical review of a movie, right? Than opposed to like the usual kind of thing we do. Yeah, absolutely. We're, see, we're more reviewing whether or not this works as an adaptation, whether in, instead of, oh, look at that stupid thing. You farted on screen. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. You know that we usually do on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Getting a little more critical. <laughs> This movie could have used an, a little Ivan ooze. I mean, we'd have more to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so what follows now is we're introduced to Rorschach, who is one of these masked vigilantes. He's somewhat of a, if you're looking for a, an actual comic correlation, I mean, he's, he's similar to the question, but, you know, more generally, he's kind of like a Batman figure where he's, he's investigating. He's the, the detective of group. So he's looking into what happened with the comedian's death. The first time we see Rorschach, he's wearing his signature mask, which looks like an English Plot test or the Rorschach test. His mask is awesome. They did a fantastic job with the effect here. The the blot is is constantly moving over his face and it looks so real. Yeah, it's 
shifting and shaping. Yeah, absolutely looks real. That was, I think, the most impressive part of this whole movie to me was how real this mask looked the whole time. He goes into the apartment. He uncovers that this person that was killed was, in fact, the comedian, the person who was on his vigilante hero squad with him back in the good old days of crime fighting. And he, he gets pretty upset. He starts looking for some real answers. Yeah, so in the world of The Watchmen, it's pretty much like our world, except what would happen if people really did decide to become heroes, put on costumes and run around? None of these people actually have superpowers. They're just normal people like cops and criminals. They put on wacky costumes and are running around fighting that. And the graphic novel explores this concept in depth, talking about what kind of person would actually want to do it. And every single one of these characters has some deep personality flaw that is explored in the book. That's what makes these characters so compelling because they're all damaged in one way or another. Yeah, well, what normal person would do this? None. And eventually in the story, we meet a character who does have superpowers and he's like godlike the powers. Even he has personality problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a very fascinating story. If you've never read this graphic novel, you seriously should consider doing it. Like, honestly, if you only ever read one graphic novel in your life, this is it. This is the one. Like, you pick this one up and then you'll be fine. All right, so Rorschach is running around trying to warn his buddies. He goes to his old partner, who is the actual Batman equivalent in this story. He tells him what he's doing, but this guy is like a flabby failure. He calls him. He retired because in the world of the Watchmen, Richard Nixon made it illegal for people to be heroes, costume heroes, with the exception of the comedian and this other guy who will meet, who are like contractors for the government. But everybody else, they made it illegal to be vigilantes. You basically had to out yourself. You had to say who you were unless you signed up to work for the government. Yeah. But yeah, all this stuff gets explored so well in the graphic novel. It's it's very lightly touched on movie. Yeah. And it's also, the information is sprinkled throughout the movie. And if you're coming in without any knowledge, again, like, I don't know how long it takes you to pick up on all this stuff, but I think you're probably halfway through the movie before all the information's even laid out for you. Now, you'd be totally lost, especially towards the end of this movie where things start popping up that are never explained at all. Yeah, this is not a friendly movie for people who have never experienced the source material at all. It's more like a companion piece than a novel. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. The things we're saying, it's almost as if we want this movie to be longer and have more in-depth discussion on things. Is that what you want? I wanted a 12-hour movie. (laughs) Yeah, the ultimate, ultimate cut. But I guess that, so that goes back to the question, should this have been a movie? Is this the right medium to tell this story and have it encapsulate everything that it is? Alan Moore says no. I tend to agree with him. But the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was so good. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me rethink that. (laughs) No, my position hasn't changed. I guess you have to cut stuff from the movie, right? Yep. Completely, completely cut certain storylines out of the movie almost. But they they pretty much jammed everything they possibly could into this. Yeah, anything that was important. Let me ask you this question, Kevin. How did this movie change your movie-going habits? Because we keep dancing around this issue. Well, again, I mean, I read the graphic novel right before I went in, and that was just setting myself up for disappointment, right? This is arguably the best graphic novel ever, and it was never going to be the best movie ever or one of the best movies ever, right? No. Therefore, it was always going to be a disappointment. By setting yourself up to expect what was in that graphic novel, remembering it point by point, line by line almost. So yeah, I mean, I went in with an encyclopedic knowledge of what this story was. And I didn't let the filmmakers bring me on their own journey. I had the journey already set out in my head of what I expected it to be. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what happened to me. And because of this movie, I will never again read the book before I see the movie. Or at least... Uh, Right before. Yeah, right before I see the movie. If I'm going to read the book, I'm going to read it way in advance. Never again I'm going to read it right before. Because that's just a stupid, stupid thing to do. I highly recommend people not do that. If you want to enjoy the movie on its own terms, 
terms, don't read the book right before you see the movie. See the movie first, and if you like the movie, if you think the plot is okay, then read the book because, you know, the book's always going to be better. Yeah. Another way that this movie affected my movie-going habits is like, I don't go to midnight screenings anymore. That's done. That part of my life is over. It ended in 2009. <laughs> no more midnight screenings for new releases. Why? Because it's late, I'm cranky, and that affects my mood while watching a movie. And again, it's such a commitment to go to that. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yep. It has to be great. If you're going to set aside all that time and effort to go to a midnight showing, to be up until often three in the morning. Yeah. Like if it's not unbelievable, then it's a letdown. And that's what happened to me. This this wasn't the movie that did it for me. Spider-Man 3 did that for me. That was the last time I'll ever see a midnight showing. You didn't like Emo Parker? No. Emo Parker nearly made me take my life. <laughs> I was sitting in the movie theater <laughs> at two in the morning and Emo Peter Parker shows up and I was like, what am I doing with my life? He had to rethink everything. <laughs> everything. I went back to the drawing board. <laughs> And uh, the third way that this movie completely and totally changed my moving going habits is after this movie, I enacted a media blackout on any movie that I had any interest in seeing. Because when this movie came out, I dove head first into all the marketing material. I was reading all the stuff on the internet. I was checking out the behind the scenes set photos. <laughs> oh, new photos of <laughs> costumes are online. Check it out. You think like I was tracking like the election or something like I was <laughs> I was seriously combing through all these news stories and stuff and reading all about it and what does that do it sets you up for failure yep. you create a movie in your mind and it's never gonna live up to it that's why I don't bother I used to read movie news all the time I don't read that stuff at all anymore because it's all of the same variety new set photos of the dark night leaked check it out look at the new Catwoman picture and then everybody on the internet complains about a movie they haven't even seen yet. This sucks. Like, you haven't even seen the movie yet. This is crap. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And then it turns out that Catwoman was awesome anyway. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a fool's errand. Like, I highly recommend if you're the kind of guy who does this sort of thing, don't even bother. Like, you can become oversaturated. Yeah. Like you spend hours of your life committed to looking at stuff up about this movie. By the time you get there, it's like you've seen it already. I remember watching the trailer for The Watchmen four million times. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I heard the end is the beginning is the end by the Smashing Pumpkins four million times because I constantly was watching that trailer. And that trailer was awesome. It was one of the best trailers ever. So good. But I watched it so many times that by the time the movie actually got there, I was almost sick of it in a way, right? Like, you're, <laughs> it's it. You've experienced the movie so much already before it even started. Yeah, we've really matured because younger versions of ourselves would commit these same mistakes over yep. and over and over. Oh, yeah. You know, on a similar related note, I mean, not related to The Watchmen, but I've also enacted this policy for movie watching. I learned this from The Matrix 2 and 3. I don't speculate about movies anymore, about plot points. What do you think is going to happen in part too. I don't care. I'm just going to wait until it comes out and then I'll take whatever they give me because I made the big deadly mistake of speculating about the plots of Matrix 2 and 3 and that just led to heartbreak. Well, anyway, so Rorschach is running around warning all his old buddies and we meet Dr. Manhattan. Kevin, who is this guy? So Dr. Manhattan was a physicist in the 50s who was working on intrinsic fields. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. He um, he got caught in one of their experiments 
experiments and was vaporized in what is one of the, the best special effects in this whole movie, I think. Yeah, there's a sequence in this film where we get to see Dr. Manhattan's backstory. Excellently done, I think. Phenomenal. Yeah, I I loved it. And I think that's because, like I said earlier, I really like Billy Crudup. And you actually got to see him acting yeah. as a human being and not as this robot god that he is for the rest of the movie. And he's great. I love him. He's fantastic. Well, so he gets vaporized and then he reconstructs himself. And he's Billy Crudup, completely naked and blue. Super buff. Super buff. He is, since he's a god, he's a six out of five on the beefcake scale. Yeah, he breaks the scale. He broke it. Although we do get to see one little piece of Billy Crudup, which none of us were expecting when we saw this movie. <laughs> we were all expecting it when yeah, we saw Yeah, this actually movie. we were. <laughs> we, were all, we were all hoping for it. We were looking at our chops. <laughs> Yeah, the graphic novel is filled with shots of Dr. Manhattan's penis. Because he walks around naked all the time. He's a god. He's a, he's above that. Absolutely. He's Adam before tasting the apple from the tree. Well done. <laughs> Well, in the movie, what do we get? We get the same deal. We get Billy, I guess, Billy Crudup's CG blue penis. Floppy blue penis. A first in cinema history, right? When the historians look back on this time in history, that's going to be one of the milestones. Yeah, it's the blue penis era. (laughs) It really was. It really ushered in the penis era (laughs) in cinema. Yeah, but it's constantly in the novel, right? Yeah, it it's is. always there. In the movie, they, I mean, they did a good job of not having it in your face the whole time. People were laughing and giggling in the theater. I mean, we're not ready as a society. No, as we're, an, no, a, we're an, not. America, I should say, specifically America. Yeah. An American society is not ready for full frontal male nudity in movies. We're not. We're, we're too juvenile for it. Like, everyone was just laughing and giggling. He wasn't even doing anything funny. He was just standing there. Yeah. And the fact that his, his penis was flopping around, everyone was laughing and laughing and laughing. We couldn't control our giggling. No, it was... Like schoolgirls, everyone. (laughs) I especially remember the children that were at our screening really loved seeing the blue penis. (laughs) (laughs) Parents, if you have kids, don't bring them to R-rated movies at the midnight show. (laughs) They might see blue penis. We meet Dr. Manhattan when Rorschach goes to him and Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend, who is Silk Spectre 2, to warn them to say, I think someone's killing us former masks. So Rorschach has this theory that there's a serial killer out there knocking off the former crime fighters, even though he has a sample size of one. Yep. He sees the pattern already. And it's pretty cool because he's telling Dr. Manhattan, figure this out. What's going on? You're a god. And Dr. Manhattan says he can't, can't see past a certain point in his own future and he thinks it's because the US and Russia are going to annihilate each other the whole world is going to be blown up in nuclear war because tensions are rising they keep talking about the doomsday clock we're five minutes to midnight we're four minutes to midnight it seems as if Armageddon is inevitable during this entire movie they just we just keep inching closer to it so Rorschach's like you got to do something Dr. Manhattan's like get out of here snaps his fingers Rorschach disappears and he appears outside the gates of the military compound that they live in which is pretty cool yeah the effects of him teleporting in and out of places is I like it a lot the way yeah. it looks I mean eventually we get to the point where Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend wants to go on a date with him but Dr. Manhattan is too busy doing stuff he's trying he's to save the man. world yeah he's trying to save the world he doesn't have time for she's like take going on dates. Date. yeah 
So instead of going to Dr. Manhattan, she decides to call up her old friend, Night Owl, who is Patrick Wilson, and they go on a little date together. Now, during this scene, we get hit with one of this movie's big problems that really, really jarred me back in 2009. Yeah, the music choices made not in the score, but in the actual like commercial songs that are used as part of the soundtrack for this film are horrendous. Terrible. With the exception of the first Bob Dylan song that plays in the opening credits, every other song that they play is really bad and just doesn't feel right with this movie. And it, it takes you out of it. It really takes you out of the scene that you're getting invested in. Absolutely. As soon as these songs start. It's jarring. It's yeah. jarring. They're doing it because they're trying to set the mood of the year that they're in. They're trying to correct the problem that Amityville Horror 2005 had, where it's like, what year is this? I don't know. By playing some music. But it says it doesn't work because this movie's so serious and then they play these silly songs that really just snap you out of it. For In this case, they play 99 Loft Balloons. It's just bad. Really bad. Yeah, they go on this date, which it really is a serious date, right? Like These are two people who've been through a lot of stuff together. Yeah. She's yearning for another human being to connect with. And they do. Like It's a serious date. And then they play this pop song that's just blaring and it makes it seem like it's... A joke. It's like we're watching The Bounty Hunter. <laughs> Instead of a serious movie, which this is. Yeah. I mean, I, we're talking about costume vigilantes and, and superheroes and stuff, but this is a serious movie. Yeah, it is. Without question. And then these songs, they take you right out of the moment. This date was a joke as soon as that song started playing, which is unfortunate. And they, they were going for realism here, right? Yeah. And I think in addition to what we were talking about, some of the physics and the fight scene, and then this these music choices, like those two things completely undermine the seriousness of this movie. And I really wonder, like, what could this have been? What if, like, uh, Christopher Nolan did it? Yeah, like... I, not specifically him. I mean, I'm not saying he needs to direct every superhero movie now. <laughs> but I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it just, it, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of people said, this movie couldn't have been made. It wasn't, the material's too much for this medium. But I don't know. I think it, it could have been done, but we'll never know now, right? This was the one shot. Yeah, that's it. I don't think they're going to make another watch. No, movie. it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're stuck with this one. Yeah. So let's take it or leave it, right? I guess so. Okay, after this, we cut to the comedian's funeral, who is uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And they did a great job with this scene. This is like straight from the graphic novel, shot for shot, the way that this is done. The way in the graphic novel, the way they do this is that they're all the ex-heroes are standing around the grave and the camera would zoom into their faces and we get to see like a flashback of that character interacting with the comedian in the past, having some very bad encounter with him. And they, that's exactly how they did it in this movie. And it, it, I think it works really well. Oh yeah. The way I they did so. it. So one of the first flashbacks we see is Dr. Manhattan is in Vietnam with the comedian. He's sent there by Nixon to take care of the problem and he pretty much ends the war in a week because he's an indestructible man-god thing. What and took a week? Yeah, I could have done it in an hour. If you're if you're running Vietnam at that point, right? This, the 30-story tall man yeah, shows that, up? That's usually we exaggerate like crazy, <laughs> but not that's not an exaggeration. He can make himself that tall and he walks around killing people. He just vaporizes people. What took them a week? Yeah. I would have surrendered immediately. Yeah, we're done. We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> and why was the comedian even there? He's just a normal guy. Why were any of our troops there? Just send him. <laughs> Well, someone's got to clean up the mess, right? Yeah, I guess so. So, Dr. Manhattan, he wins the war. Everyone's celebrating in the streets of Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> wow, your geography's on point. <laughs> 
And the comedian's just drinking at the bar. Dr. Manhattan's in there. This is when Dr. Manhattan's a, a little bit more of a human being at this point. He hasn't completely lost his sense of, of humanity. This woman comes in. She's clearly several months pregnant, at like six or seven months pregnant, maybe even more. She has a real big belly on her. Nine months. She's going to give birth yeah, in like five she, seconds. She's about to pop. And she's telling the comedian, hey, you're taking me back. Like You got to deal with this. You got me pregnant. Yeah, this is your baby. Weren't they there for 10 days? <laughs> How did she get nine months pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> nah, he he was there for a while. He was there longer than that. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's a little weird, right? Anyway, I mean, it's not the movie's fault. This is the, That's the source material. Comedian, he doesn't want to listen to this woman. He's like, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm going home. I don't I'm, care about you I'm or this country. Get out of here. Get yeah. out of my face. She cracks a bottle. She slashes his face. And comedian, he loses his cool a little bit. Yeah, he pulls yeah, out a gun. A rash. He pulls out a gun. He points it right at her. Shoots her. Dead. On the spot. A pregnant woman. Not only did he kill this woman, he killed his unborn child. <laughs> this is shocking stuff. It was one of the more shocking scenes of the book. I remember when I first read that I was like, whoa, that's some heavy <laughs> duty stuff. I mean, he's one of the guys that's a hero, according to this movie. Yeah. According to the book, right? He's on the team that are the good guys. But it just goes to show you, like, you don't sign up for stuff like this unless you're messed up in the head. Dr. Manhattan's like, dude, <laughs> you just killed her. She's pregnant. The comedian's like, yo, you could have stopped me. In a moment's notice, you could have turned my gun into steam. You could have done anything and you just watched me do it. This is on you, too. I kind of like that, how even though he murdered Murdered this woman and unborn child. He kind of flips it around and makes it so it's Dr. Manhattan's fault. This is your fault. Not mine, yours. You did this. But it's a very human thing to do, right? Because it is. Dr. Manhattan is a god, right? He's like, hey, I didn't do this. Like, you allowed me to do this. This is your fault. And he also says, look, dude, you're you're losing your humanity. You could have stopped it. You don't care about us at all. We're nothing to you. And that's a really telling thing. I mean, that, that's where the rest of this movie goes. It's, you know, the big choices here are, does Dr. Manhattan Manhattan care about human beings. That's a very interesting point that you make there because later on, Rorschach talks about how he became Rorschach and he says like he witnessed something really bad happening and he goes, if God was watching, he didn't seem to care. He just stood by and did nothing, just like Dr. Manhattan did there. That's a very interesting kind of corollary between the two. Yeah, I like this scene. I think this is great, the, like the story-wise and everything. Like this is a great scene in the book, great scene for the characters. It really sets them up for who they are and what they're all about. I think this is awesome. It's good stuff. You weren't happy with the line readings here. No, I thought Jeffrey D. Morgan was phoning it in. Yeah, it wasn't the best. Again, though, it's not what I had it in my mind as being when I read that those lines in the graphic novel. Like, that is such a powerful scene, and it really demanded a really powerful line reading, and it seemed to me like he just kind of sped through it very quickly. But could it ever have been as good as I wanted it to be? The next flashback we see is the uh, Silk Spectre. She had a run-in with the comedian when she was much younger. They did a perfect job recreating this from the comic book. Like, I remember in the comic, they made a big deal of, like, the original Watchmen. So there's two generations of Watchmen. There's the Watchmen from, like, the 40s and 50s and it's the modern-day Watchmen from the 80s. And the original Watchmen, they got a photo taken as a group photo and when they got the photo taken, the first Silk Spectre, she's like, oh, I got the flash in my eye and she was, like, rubbing her eyes and stuff. They recreated that in the movie, like, perfectly. I When I saw this the first time around, I was like, I was really impressed with the attention to the little details that they did in this movie. A lot of the stuff they really nailed, like, little elements that are in the background and like posters on the wall and neon signs and things. They did a great job with that sort of thing. So Silk Spectre, Carla Gugino, she is in her skimpy uniform costume thing. Which she uses to fight crime. Yeah. And she's going to go get changed in the back room. She's like, I'll 
I'll meet up with everybody later. See you guys later. The comedian, he, uh, he's got other plans. So he sneaks into the room while she's changing and... And he starts, he starts putting the moves on her. He's, he's flirting with her. He's, he's like, come on, baby. You wear that skimpy outfit for a reason. He goes in. She, she turns him down. She says, no. It's like, no spilt. Why, yes. Oh. <laughs> He's a real smooth guy. So she says no, and she hits him to, to deter him. She's like, no, I don't I don't want this. He takes that as a green light to smack her around, and he hits her real hard. Hardcore. Like, this actually, like, made me feel uncomfortable, especially the first time I saw this. Like, I knew it was coming, but it's one thing to see this on the pages of a graphic novel. It's another thing to see this live on screen, like, to see a guy beating a woman like this. Beating is, like, <laughs> light Yeah, what he was doing to her. It, it's real bad. What'd your girlfriend at the time think of this? Yeah, she felt really uncomfortable with this too. It just didn't like this at all. He he smacks her around. He goes to rape her. Then another one of the, the masked hero guys, he comes in and sees what's going on and he starts beating the crap out of the comedian. The comedian like likes it. <laughs> he's like laughing the whole time. He is so sadistic. He's like, he's like the Joker. Oh no, I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. Like the comedian, the Joker. Yeah. So this guy luckily stops, stops it before she actually does get raped. But her face is like pummeled at the end of the scene. And it's, yep. it's really, really uncomfortable, actually. Well, speaking of this, I mean, another question I had when I first saw this movie is, is this movie too over the top? There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that I felt at time was just cheap tricks and shock value stuff. Like, for example, did he really have to beat her up so insanely rough? Uh, did he have to film it in Zack Snyder style with the <laughs> slow-mo and the, you know, glorifying the violence and all that stuff? Yeah. On top of that, there are a lot of scenes in this movie where people are fighting and their, their bones get snapped and pop out of their skin and arms get sawed off sawed off and bodies explode and blood flies everywhere at the time i thought this is a joke it's like juvenile and kitty gruesome stupid i didn't like it at all how'd you feel about it this time around yeah i felt the same way as you the first time and in fact when starting this movie like i was almost like preparing myself for it like the -the over-the-top um gratuitous violence and all that stuff it didn't live up to it for some reason of what i had remembered i don't know why that is I don't know if it's just because I've seen more of it in movies since then or if maybe it was just it was to such a higher degree than it was in the novel so that was I was that's what I was comparing it to and this time I was comparing to what my memory was of the movie I don't don't know what happened but it didn't seem as bad this time to me for some reason oh yeah me neither I was a lot more lenient with this movie this time around because I think I knew what I was going to get so I just accepted the movie for what it wanted to be and didn't sit there and complain and nitpick like okay let's just take it for what it is you know when this graphic novel came out, it was known to be over the top gruesome for a graphic novel, right? At the time, the argument was when this movie came out that we as a society were even more gruesome. So the movie had to step it up even a little bit more than the graphic novel did. You buy into that? Yeah. It was supposed to be shocking. I don't know. I mean, it's a fine line, right? From shocking to just silly. Yeah. And it does dance on that line a lot. It does. I mean, there's that one scene in particular we had talked about where Dr. Manhattan is in a bar and a couple guys draw their guns on him and he in incinerates them and their guts are like up on the ceiling. Yeah, in the book he blows the guy's head off, but all you see is like a, an explosion or something drawn on his face. In the movie, he explodes in this burst of blood and guts and yeah, like his bones are on the ceiling hanging down and stuff. That in particular I thought was just unnecessary when I first saw this. But this time around, like I knew it was coming, so I was like oh, okay, whatever. Desensitized. Right, eventually we cut to Dr. Manhattan. He's being interviewed on TV and this reporter jumps out at him and gives 
them these gotcha journalism tactics live on air. And it's revealed that maybe Dr. Manhattan, because he's this kind of nuclear radioactive guy, perhaps he may have given cancer to all his co-workers, including the love of his life. His... Former love of his life. Exactly. And she shows up on set riddled with cancer. She pulls off her wig. She looked like Wednesday Adams, what they had her wearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But anyway, so Dr. Manhattan is really uh, unnerved by all this. He shows emotion for the first time. Yeah. And he just exiles himself to Mars. And because he leaves Earth, he was a living nuclear deterrent. No one was willing to fire nuclear weapons with this guy on the Earth because they knew that he could stop the nukes and then come back and retaliate against them. But with him gone, all bets are off. And we're even closer to World War Three because of this. So Rorschach, he's still on this kick of... He wants to find out who is knocking off the mass heroes. So he's still doing his investigation. He goes to one of the former villains that they used to fight, Moloch, except he finds Moloch dead in the house and the cops are there. It's a setup. Rorschach has been set up. The cops are there. They're going to arrest him. He's, double crossed. He sure has been double crossed. Rorschach is wanted by the police. He's killed countless people. Yeah, criminals. Yeah, they're all criminals, but he's wanted by the police. So the police are there. They bust in. This is a really cool sequence where Rorschach takes takes uh, an aerosol can, lights it, lights some matches, and uses it as a flamethrower against the police in a hallway. Straight out of the graphic novel, but it mm-hmm. looks awesome on the screen. He eventually gets wrestled to the ground, and he is arrested. They rip his Rorschach mask off, and he is screaming, put my face back on. Yeah, that's his face. <laughs> so great, man. This guy is so good in this role. Really? Fantastic. It was like he was born to play this role. <laughs> yeah. He looks the part. He does. He really does. 100%. And then, one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie takes place with Rorschach is in prison and he's standing in line to get some lunch. They're getting brunch. Prison brunch. (laughs) And he's going to get some lunch and uh, one of his fellow inmates tries to stab him. Again, Rorschach isn't having none of this. (laughs) He, Rorschach bashes the, the window at the food checkout and he grabs a giant vat of boiling oil and tosses it on this guy's face. I remember when I first saw this, I was shocked by this scene. It's so painful looking. I, I, I remember distinctly, I was like stomping my feet like, oh my God, so crazy. What do you think of this? I can't imagine a worse thing happening to somebody <laughs> yeah. than having hot oil thrown on your face like that. That guy just drops to his knees and screams, so painful. Was that the Wilhelm scream? <laughs> yeah, there's a Wilhelm scream hidden in this movie, but that wasn't it. Um, I mean, it's it's not a little bit of oil. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of it. Like, it's coating his skin. That guy probably wants to rip the skin off his body, and it would be less painful than what he's experiencing. So then Rorschach has this great line. It's like, you think I'm locked in here with you? You're locked in here with me. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Perfect. The delivery, so perfect. The delivery is amazing. The line is great. Everything with Rorschach in it, it's amazing. Yeah. Kevin, did you ever see the 2001 classic, The One, starring Jet Li? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> the ending of that mirrors what Rorschach says. <laughs> All right, so Silk Spectre 2 is, she's hanging out with, with the, um... Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. They're starting to become kind of like a thing, because Dr. Manhattan's gone, and she's, she's moving on. She's like, I can't deal with that guy anymore. He's, he's inhuman. She tries to put the moves on Patrick Wilson, and they start getting hot and heavy on the couch, but got some anxiety performance issues here. What a weekly, <laughs> oh, impotence. <laughs> 
yeah, after about a minute, a minute, two minutes of trying. Yeah, you need some Enzite or yeah. uh, <laughs> Viagra. His Viagra prescriptions run out. He just, he's an impotent man. <laughs> So you know, I, I have a movie sitting in that pile where Jason Statham screams that like 20 times in a row. He goes, I am an impotent man. We should watch that sometime. So they go to bed very disappointed. Man, I, I count my lucky stars. That, that hasn't happened to me yet. Right? I, One I, day I, it will. Yeah, it, I know. It will. It will happen. And it'll be crushing. I, I just don't want that to happen to me. I don't know about you and your history, but I don't want to know. I, but we haven't, we're young bucks. Yeah. We haven't now. had this problem yet. For now. But when the day comes and it will, it's going to be a dark, dark day, right? It's going to be an after dark day. What? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It's like three in the morning, can't sleep. He goes down to his owl cave. He's looking at his old uniform. Malin Ackerman, she comes down. She sees Patrick Wilson stand there, completely naked. This is now the second movie I have seen and own where I see Patrick Wilson's ass. The other one was Little Children. Well done. So she comes down. She's like, what's going on here? Can't What's the deal, sleep? bro? Can't sleep? What's going on? Can't sleep? You can't have sex? What's wrong with you? <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, you're useless. <laughs> Kicks him out of his own home. <laughs> This is my house now. And they decide, you know what? Let's go out for one more. One more turn as superheroes. One more caper for the road. They get dressed up. Luckily, she has her Silk Spectre uniform with her. I guess she carries it with her wherever she goes. Even though the whole movie, she's talking about how much she hates being Silk Spectre. But whatever. Sure. They go out in his little owl mobile. You know, when I first saw this movie, I thought that they did some weird stuff with the makeup for her in this scene. She looks really plasticky. She looks plasticky and he looks like he has the... The worst spray tan I've ever seen. He's orange. Yeah, it's weird stuff going on here, right? Yeah, it, it, I don't know what's going on there. Her uniform is super plasticky. Yeah. And then her face also looks plasticky. Yeah, she's like a doll. Yeah. A real doll. <laughs> <laughs> so they go out in the owl man's ship. They find this apartment that's on fire. They go in. They rescue the people. They're big time heroes. And all of a sudden, Mr. Wilson's got some wood. <laughs> Wow, Dennis the Menace? <laughs> so he gets caught up in the moment and... Yeah, I thought this is a very interesting aspect of this guy's character. I love this in the book. The fact that when he stopped being a hero, he became impotent. He stopped being a man. He stopped being a man, yeah. Like, he couldn't have sex anymore. When he stopped being a... But the moment he put the suit back on, he could have sex again. Really interesting stuff. Again, goes to show you, like, to be a hero, you have to have some something wrong with you, right? Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, but they have sex up there on the ship. And top five... Worst sex scenes ever. Easily. So they start kissing and the song Alleluia starts playing. Only it's not the one or two or three that you've probably ever heard. It's this super terrible rendition of the song <laughs> that's super slow. And again, it's comical. Yeah, it's stupid. And we get this 45 minute long sex scene. It was so uncomfortable to watch this scene. It's yeah. long and drawn out. It was almost pornographic. Like they have close up shots of her breasts. They have close up shots of his ass thrusting as he's having sex with her. Like, this isn't stuff that should be in a, in this kind of movie. You know, sex scenes are supposed to be awesome, right? Super awesome. This is the opposite. I can't think of another instance in my life where I'm like, okay, enough. Let's move on. I have, I'm tired of this sex scene. Let's go. That's a problem, right? It's a real big problem. I'm a hot-blooded male. <laughs> I like sex scenes. And when I'm saying, get this over with, it's a serious problem. <laughs> Your sex scene is the worst part of your movie. 
It's a real big problem. <laughs> yeah, but it's really stupid and joking and comical. People were laughing in the theater when we saw it, and it's just uncomfortable. I just remember moaning and groaning, like, it's like oh, come on. I love that song, too. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Anymore, it's tainted. Are over. It's tainted forever. So after they're done, they're like, hey, let's go bust out our old buddy Rorschach. He's sitting in prison. Let's get him out of there. They go over there. As luck would have it. There's a prison riot going on at the exact same riot. time. So the guy that Rorschach threw the oil on, he dies, which triggers an all-out riot. Yeah. And the prison's on fire. The guys are going nuts in there. They're Wilhelm screaming left and right <laughs> as they're jumping off the building. So they show up to go rescue Rorschach. Rorschach, of course, he's rescuing himself. There's a shot in this movie, which I think is just phenomenally well done, where Rorschach chases this little guy to the bathroom. And Rorschach is just standing there, and the door to the bathroom is, is just opening and closing, Swinging back and forth, opening and closing. And the camera is slowly tracking in, just slowly zooming in. Every time the door opens, we get to see a little bit more of what's going on in the room. It opens, it closes. Rorschach gets closer and closer and closer until eventually it just closes. And like, that's it. I thought that was just so artfully done. Like he he murdered that guy, totally slaughtered that guy in there. But we didn't need to see it. Yeah, it was subtle. Yeah, it was great. Subtlety in a movie where nothing is subtle. Everything's over the top and it stood out and it was fantastic. So they get back to Night Owl's cave and immediately Dr. Manhattan shows up to take Silk Spectre to Mars where Dr. Manhattan has exiled himself because he's he's like, you're going to plead your case to me why I should save the planet. So let's get this over with. So she goes to Mars and basically pleads for the life of the planet. She's like, come on, like do this for me. I know you don't care. We're nothing but insects to you, but save the world for me. Like if you care about me at all, do this. And this goes on for a long time, right? I mean, how long is this scene? Very long. 15 minutes? It's around this point of the movie that I really started to feel the runtime yeah. of it. Like the first hour and a half, I was with this movie hard. I was so in to what was going on. At a certain point, I'm pretty sure it's during the riot scene that this movie kind of goes downhill where it's like the, the next half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. It just feels really long and drawn out. Again, I think this movie would work if you like broke it up into two parts or something or in a yeah. miniseries. We should have just taken a break and come back and, and watch it. But having to sit through it all because there's so much material. This movie's so dense. So while Silk Spectre is with Dr. Manhattan on Mars, Night Owl and Rorschach, they're going to do some investigating. So they go to one of their other former compatriots' offices, Ozymandias. So this guy was billed as the world's smartest man, the world's fastest man, too. At times, he was really quick. Yeah. He is a multi-billionaire. And they find out that their former compatriot, their former masked hero is the guy behind this. He's the one who is apparently killing all the other heroes. They also find out that his he is in Antarctica this time. He's been working with Dr. Manhattan on renewable energy. So we cut to Antarctica and we see him standing around. He kills all his subordinates so no one knows the truth. And he's walking away. And out of nowhere, this CG tiger thing appears out of nowhere. It's like purple. It has these pointy ears and these stripes. In the comic book, it's kind of explained where this thing comes from. It's like genetic experiments that is company has worked on, but that thing appears early in the story. It doesn't show up in this movie until the end. Like the last 30 minutes of the movie,
movie. If I never read the book, I'd be like, what the hell is this? What is going on? He has a base in Antarctica. Like, what is this? It's like whiteout. It was thrown in just for the fans. Fan service? Right. It had to have been because there's no point to it being in this movie. It's just a waste of money, like CG to animate it. But if it wasn't in there, all the fanboys had been like, where's the cat? <laughs> right? It totally would have happened. So yeah, Night Owl and Rorschach, they show up as base. They go to take down Ozymandias. And we see how fast this guy is, right? I mean, he's super fast and super strong. They're a joke compared to him. He obliterates him. He looks like he has superpowers. He does. Like he jumps 20 feet in the air. It's a big problem. A real big problem that this movie has. He is too powerful for a slender guy. He is, he is the strength of, of Superman, basically. I mean, he tosses Rorschach around like he's nothing. So he's basically beating the crap out of these guys. And he's like, look, 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 humanity's no one's doing the right thing here. Like as a society, the entire world, they're on the brink of killing themselves. Something has to be done. If the people were taken out in major cities across the world, it would bring everybody together. So he tells them this whole plan and they're like, we're going to stop you. But he has a counter to that. Yeah. He says, what do you think I am? Some sort of comic book villain? I'm going to tell you my master plan before I do it. Give me a break. I already did it 30 minutes ago. Amazing. Amazing. Like when I read that in the comic book, I stood up and I started cheering and clapping. I was like, this is awesome. And that's what would really happen if there was (laughs) such a thing. Like, what what am I going to sit sit around and wait for you to stop me? Give me a break. I'm just going to do it. The first time I read that, I was just blown away. It's hard to explain what that means, right? I mean, after years and years. I've I've seen the exact same thing over and over and over and over of the hero coming and stopping the villain while he's telling the master plan. And and not just in comic books. Movies, TV shows, everything. Everything. Since the beginning of time, every story has ended with the hero saving the day. And to hear him say that was just, it was groundbreaking. And that's why this book is celebrated for that right there. If that doesn't happen, if they don't, Alan Moore doesn't have that stroke of genius of including that, this thing doesn't get respected the way it does. Yeah. Not remotely. Well, his master plan is to blow up several major cities in the world, like Paris and London and New York and so on and so forth. Moscow. And by doing it, the way he decides to do it is that he created these machines that he told Dr. Manhattan were going to be used to create renewable energy for the world. Instead, he uses them as like bombs, essentially, to use Dr. Manhattan's powers to create a massive explosion and completely incinerates major parts of these cities. Millions and millions and millions of people killed instantaneously. In the book, what happened here was very, very different. I'm not going to spoil what happens here, I guess. Yeah, that's probably a good decision. Because, I I mean, the outcome is the same, but how it's done is very different. And the fanboys were not happy about that one bit back in 2009 that they changed this. Nope, nope, nope. Some may argue that the change is for the better. It makes more sense the way they do it in the movie than what they do in the comic. But I kind of like what they do in the comic book. And it seems more plausible to me that something like that happens, what happens in the comic book, people around the world would unite against that. But if Dr. Manhattan attacks a city, what's the point of uniting? Isn't that just going to cause more chaos because everyone knows there's no way we can beat them? Well, I'm going to say that instead of everyone fighting with each other, having being enemies of each other... They'll blame New York or they'll, bl- they'll blame America instead because they created Dr. Manhattan. Well, no, because America got attacked too. Okay. And we didn't create him. We don't have a leash on him, right? I mean, he does. he's done stuff for us, but he if we got attacked too, that shows that he's a common enemy of everybody. That's like... 
the same same deal as Independence Day. Okay. Right? Aliens attack. We're all going to unite against the aliens, no matter what other stupid, heady stuff we've got going on. Okay, great. <laughs> so we unite against the common enemy. And that's, that's it, it's the same goal either way, right? Versus it, the book or the movie. I agree. I like the ending in the graphic novel better, but I think this plays out better in a movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the graphic novel ending would have played out well. No, I think people would have been like, what? It would have looked a little ridiculous, I think. Yeah, that too. So for the be- it's for the best. It really is for the best. I think so. Yeah, I, I do. So Dr. Manhattan, he gets convinced by the Silk Spectre 2 to go back and save Earth. They go up to Antarctica and he confronts Ozymandias. Ozymandias uses the same technology that was used to create Dr. Manhattan to try and destroy him. <laughs> what a foolish move. <laughs> Real foolish move. Dr. Manhattan's like, that's the first trick I learned, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I can reconstruct myself without flat batting an eyelash. So Ozymandias is like, wait, 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 wait. And look, he turns on the TV. There's President Nixon saying, Dr. Manhattan has attacked the world. I've been talking to the leaders in Russia and the rest of the world. We're all united against Dr. Manhattan. And Dr. Manhattan's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well then, Ozymandias is like, look, there's two moves here. Either people know what really happened or they continue to believe that you attack them. And this is the new world we live in. And the fact of the matter is, is if people know the truth, everything's going to go back to the way it was. It's a serious moral decision. Very heavy way to end the movie. I I like it. I've always liked this aspect of the story. Absolutely. One of the things I wish they had kept from the graphic novel that isn't in here, two things actually that happen in this series of events, is that when we see on TV that there's peace, Ozymandias, he's just like screaming. He's like, I did it! I did it! Like like all his hard work finally came to fruition. He's crying. Like our doctor friend from the human centipede. Yeah, he was so happy that he did. He's dancing around. (laughs) He's laughing and crying. Dr. Laser. Yeah, there you go. In the book, he goes up to Dr. Manhattan and says, did I do the right thing in the end? And Dr. Manhattan looks at him and goes, nothing ever ends. And just leaves, disappears. And it, the way it's drawn, there's this look on his face, Ozymandias' face, like, oh, maybe I didn't do the right thing or something like, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a little bit of doubt. Yeah. I love that aspect. <laughs> love that. And that wasn't in here. Yeah. It should have been in this. Ozymandias kind of comes out as the victor here, right? Yeah. By killing all those people, he saved the world. Yes. Which is a really interesting idea. Right, and he tells the other heroes like your costume heroics are a joke. They're useless. All they ever accomplished was failing to stop me from saving the world. That's it. You guys suck. Get out of here. <laughs> but you know, everyone kind of understands that regardless of what happened, that their decisions now are what will affect what happens in the future, and that it doesn't really make sense to tell people the truth because it will just lead to more war. Now yeah, the sun is done. Yeah, but Rorschach, he he can't swallow that pill. <laughs> It's like, no, people need to know what happened here. This is wrong. Black and white. So he he busts out. He's walking in the snow. And we get one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie is Dr. Manhattan's out there in the snow. He's waiting for Rorschach. And Rorschach rips off his mask. And he's just like, go ahead and do it already. One of the really cool things about this scene is because the special effects on Dr. Manhattan are, are really well done. He's this giant blue guy. He has this blue aura around him. Mm-hmm. And whenever there's close-ups of him, you can see like these little particles just yeah. like of dust floating around in his like gravitational field when he's outside in the snow all the snow is frozen in the air yep none of it is falling mm-hmm. it's just frozen I, that looks so good it did I just thought that looked excellent and he's telling him to like just do it get it over with because he knows that he'll never be able to live in the world with this giant lie and Dr. Manhattan before this scene happens he says I can change anything in the world I can turn the wood into gold whatever you know I can do anything I want the one thing I can't change is human nature that's expressed right here when 
Rorschach is like, no, I can't stay silent. I have to tell people. That's in my nature. I have to go and do this. And he kills him for it. That's a really interesting idea there, right? He dies for his beliefs. And Night Owl's watching and he's running after him and he's screaming. Like, this scene is so powerful. For At the end of the day, this is a comic book movie, but it's so powerful. Everything from when Dr. Manhattan returns from Mars to the to the end is fantastic. Yes, yes. This movie peaks at the end. It really does. So he basically disintegrates Rorschach and leaves an ink blot in the snow, which yep. is it's pretty cool too. And that's it. That's that's Watchmen. I mean, in a nutshell, really. We skipped a lot of stuff. You should seriously consider reading the book if you've never read it. It's so much better. There's a lot of extra characters in it. And like the characters aren't even throwaway. Like they're they're good. Like the psychiatrist guy is good. Yep. And like the, the, the there's a whole subplot with like the newsstand guy and this kid that's really good. Really good, actually. I, yeah. I really like their, the interaction with those two people. I know that the stuff with them is in the ultimate edition and all that stuff, but okay. who cares? We're, we're not watching that. We're watching the version that was in the theaters when we saw it back in 2009. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Extra cut, bonus cut. That's all bonus material. Okay, let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. Great book, mediocre adaptation. Richard Roper, richardroper.com. Watchmen left me looking at the exit far more often than at the screen. Peter Rayner, Christian Science Monitor. Finally, Watchmen bites off more than a single film can chew, chokes on its gluttony. Colin Covert, Minneapolis Star Tribune. Okay, Kevin, this movie currently holds a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that bad? Or that good, actually? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this is a weird movie, right? I mean, it's it's fresh, but it's not not considered to be good no, by most people. No, I mean, it's, it's really split. Like, people are, I'd say love it or hate it, but most people I've encountered hated it. I'm definitely going to be more lenient this time. Now that some time has passed, I'm a little older, a little wiser. I've had some space in between reading this graphic novel and seeing the movie. I'm going to give this a three out of five. It, it's tough, though. Like, I, I think it's a high three. It's definitely an ambitious movie, and I can't fault Jack Snyder for being ambitious with taking this on. It is so much to fit in a film, and I think that they do a pretty good job of that. Like I said, my biggest complaint is the music choices, which is such a silly thing to complain about, but it alters the mood of the scenes that are affected by it, and it's a lot of scenes. And you know, when you're kind of in the middle of a serious movie, and something silly takes you out of it, it undermines what the movie's trying to do. This graphic novel's really good, and the plot's really good, and that lends to the source material being strong enough to make a movie out of, but it just, um, it couldn't live up to the graphic novel, and it's not fair, I guess, to compare it. You should compare a movie against other movies but it's still it's such a strong case where you should definitely read the graphic novel and not see the movie or i guess read it after you see the movie because it is so much better but i'm gonna stick with the three out of five and say that if you've read the novel already give this a shot just to see what you think of it because i think a lot of people had some backlash as soon as this opened and a lot of people kind of loved to hate this movie but if you give it some time air it out a little bit from the graphic novel and just watch it as a movie and i think you'll probably be pleased as for me, when I first saw this movie back in 2009, I think I gave it a two. I felt so burned by it. And then I saw it again like a year or two ago, and I bumped my reading up to a three. This time around, I really enjoyed this movie. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, and the good outweighs the bad. And if you re- if you see this movie with and you haven't read the book recently, I think this is a good movie, man. I'm gonna go with a light four out of five. Really light four out of five. Because this is an artfully made film. I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of wacky Zack Snyderisms in it. But after having seen Sucker Punch, I mean, this is incredible compared to that. Yeah, this movie is worth seeing. But I would say read the book first and then see the movie a year later. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's the best way to go, right? Yeah, okay. Right? Because you read the book and you're going to love it and you're going to be like, damn, I got to see that movie now. Yeah. Don't do it. No. That's a trap. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Melissa from Chicago writes in and says, hey guys, I cannot suppress my squee of excitement when you announced you'd be reviewing the Power Rangers movie. I was kind of the opposite of you all, way into Power Rangers until I was way too old. I used to watch the show with my mom after school every day and bought a lot of crap. I even bought a VHS of Tommy the Green Ranger teaching you karate moves. I thought it was so badass. <laughs> to this day, I buy the occasional Power Rangers shirt at Hot Topic when I see them come up. A P.S. Attaching a goodie here that I thought you'd enjoy. My boyfriend worked at Comic-Con New York this year and these autographs from Jason David Frank, Tommy the Green Ranger, were signed and never picked up. They just crack me up. He's an MMA fighter now or something. Apparently, Jesus didn't tap. Kevin, come take a look at this pic. Whoa. What do you think, Kevin? That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to post this up on the internet. Let everybody see it. Jesus didn't tap. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Words to live by. Joel, Kevin, and Martin, I realize I'm a few weeks behind due to emergency neck surgery. I've only been able to listen and not interact. A few weeks ago, I broke my neck wrestling. Yep, we're talking WWE bare knuckle wrestling. Don't judge me. It's as real as anything else on TV. And let's be honest, way better than over half of the movies you reviewed. Moving forward, since you've all admitted to be marks, I just wanted to let you know that I've spread yes that bad amongst the boys in the back and you're the new safe grace. All the long road trips and lonely late night town to town drives are now full of a bunch of us listening to Yes That Bad. And we all agree, you guys deserve a Slammy Award. That's right, a Slammy. So, now that I'm done putting myself over as the man who introduced Yes That Bad to the wild world of pro wrestlers, I need your help ending an argument amongst us. Which stable do you guys think you're most like? We've narrowed it down to three. The right to censor, with the leader Steven Richards, played by Joel, Bull Buchanan, Kevin, and Martin as Val Venus. There's the Job Squad with Joel as Al Snow, Blue Meanie, and Gilberg. And lastly, the Mean Street Posse with Pete Gass as Martin, Rodney as Joel, and Joey Abs as Kevin. What are your thoughts? Two words for you, gender bend. So Kevin, he is a legitimate wrestler of the WWE. That's awesome. <laughs> And he sent us a nice little photo. I'm so sorry you broke your neck, bro. <laughs> that must suck. Hope you get better soon. What is Vince McMahon like in real life? How's that for a question? Have you met The Rock? What do you think of this picture, Kevin? That's pretty good. That's really good. Yeah, I, I put this picture up on our Facebook page so everybody can check it out. <laughs> Pin me, pay me. That's actually exactly how Joel wears his t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, with the midriff yeah. prominently exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's much less impressive. <laughs> Oh, by the way, that letter was from Kirby. Okay, Andrew writes it and says, Okay, guys, first things first. In the Power Rangers, you all complained about the physics of it all, but let me tell you something. The Power Rangers live in a world you might not understand. (laughs) (laughs) Second, since you guys are now doing premium episodes, does that mean that there won't be any more bonus episodes? Lastly, are there any younger actors that you're keeping an eye on? For me, I'm keeping an eye on Josh Peck and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Andrew. I've had my eye on Joseph Gordon-Levitt for the start. Quite some time. Ground floor. Yeah. I've been, I, I bought stock in him real early. Okay, yeah. As far as bonus episodes, did we do any? What was the, what was bonus? Uh, In time. That was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 
guess if we have any spare time, which we don't have any of, <laughs> then we're recording some of the, the we're going to record some After Dark stuff, which is readily available. I mean, that's a bonus episode, pretty much. Yeah, that's bonus. And whatever the premium episode is. But even, it's a struggle to even find the time for us all to get those done. We've been trying to do the next premium podcast for weeks now. Months. Years. Years. Eons. We just can't get in the same room. Yeah, it's tough. Look at today. Martin's yeah. like walking out the door halfway through. <laughs> it's for 15 minutes. It's like, peace out, bro. I gotta go. It's serious. <laughs> super important. Okay, Dane writes in, hey guys, being the good husband that I am, I saw Breaking Dawn Part 2 opening weekend as I left the theater. The biggest impression it left on me was the violence. Throughout the movie, there are at least 10 instances or more of decapitations, some more brutal than others, and at least one moment when a small child is thrown into a fire. All of this is in a PG-13 story aimed at 12-year-old girls. With that in mind, what are your thoughts on the mess that is the MPAA ratings board, where it'll allow movies like this and The Hunger Games to have so much more intense violence, but if there are three F-words and nothing else, it's an instant R. P.S. Please finish the franchise. The Twilight episodes are among the best. Yeah, the problems that we as a society have with MPAA are well documented. There's documentaries about yeah. how terrible and corrupt that system is. That was a good movie. It's like, what was it called? Like, Rate This Movie or something? Um, I think there's been a few. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they give a, a real pass to violence over language sometimes. This makes no sense to me. This film is not yet rated. That's yep. what that's called. There you go. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty insane. Like, some movies will watch and be like, this is R? Like, why is this R? Yeah, it, it's like if there's a, a, a split second of nudity or a few curse words, it can make a movie R, yet... Yeah, Dark City's rated R. That does not deserve to be R, because there's a little, there's nudity in it. Yeah, but very basic, and it's not gratuitous, nor is it sexual in any nature. No. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 garbage. It really is. Like, it's not it's not a good tool to use to determine whether a movie's suitable or not for your children. And finally, DJ Clive writes in and says, I've noticed a lot of fans are writing in and killing your show's in-jokes and catchphrases. I think we're doing a fine enough job ourselves doing that. <laughs> well, it's my turn. Here is my personal top 10 Yes That Bad show references. A lot of these don't get near enough love. Kevin, are you ready for this? Born ready. I guess you can uh, chime in on whether or not these are worthy to be in the Pantheon. Okay. Number 10, The Taurus Judge. Number 9, It's a Weak Man Who Cries Over His Dead Child. <laughs> Number eight, catch him, kill him. Spelled correctly, by the way. Very pleased. Beautiful. Number seven. <laughs> Weak attempt at bell ringing. Uh, number seven, the bell. Number six, soul NATO. That was said like what? <laughs> Number five, prenatal fetus. Number four, piss-stained beards or beards stained yellow from drinking excess piss. Three, you know this kind of reminds me of Jerry Sandusky. Number two, turdlet. And number one goes to, he shot him like a hundred times. He shot him like a million times. He shot him one jillion times. He's still shooting him. Honorable mention goes out to Toxic Fart Cloud and With the Force of a Thousand Suns. Thanks for the last guys, DJ Clive. Kevin, what's your thoughts? Right now, on this Catch issue? and Kill Him is my number one. Yeah, I have no problem retiring all that other crap, with the exception of Catch Him, Kill Him. Well, wait, wait, wait. The exaggerations have to stay. That's some good stuff. <laughs> some real good stuff okay thanks for the emails guys if you like what you've heard send us an email 
<laughs> okay, thanks for the emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com or you can use our contact form at yeahitsthatbad.com. Okay, now it's time to announce the question of the week. Have you ever been taken out of a movie by the music choices? Head on over to yeahitsthatbad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Now it's time to announce next week's movie. And next week is a very obscure movie that I've never even heard of. We had to go out of our way to get it. It's called The Pirate Movie. And according to the back of the DVD, it's the totally 80s cult classic. It finally sails on the DVD. Good luck seeing this if you've never seen it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a tough one to get your hands on. Hopefully you still have a blockbuster that's not out of business in your vicinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so tune in next week when we'll be reviewing The Pirate Movie. Okay, thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. And you can follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. You can follow Martin at yeah, it's Martin. You can follow Kevin at yeah, it's Kev. And you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at stitcher.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. Yeah, I think that, so, to that point, Ozymandias is the only one who does things. By the way, by the way, even this movie is confused as to how to pronounce that, because they say it two different ways in Ozymandias the movie. and Ozymandias. Yeah, they say it two different ways in the movie. Well, actually, we don't even know that's him at this point, right? Spoiler alert! <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> Look at this guy. Oh, oops. Uh. <laughs>